Hello everyone. You've been patient and we have now delivered. Welcome to the first ever episode of Cocky Nation, your one-stop shop for all things JSU sports. I'm joined by my good friends and fellow Gamecock fanatics, Brandon Owens and Eric Jeter. How are we doing tonight, boys? We're hanging in there. I just had a pack of Smarties and I peed, so we're hanging out. We're having a good time. That sounds amazing. I just got home from work. Long day at work. Glad I'm here to talk some Gamecock sports with y'all. Well, I've been sweating all day playing golf, so y'all have had significantly better days than me. So, all right, well, we've had a lot of topics that people have suggested, and we decided that we were just going to narrow it down to five. Sorry, not sorry. Um, if you got left out, we'll do it in the next one. Um, our topics today, we're going to be talking about the baseball team's run to the regional final against Ole Miss in Oxford. We'll be looking at the basketball team and their pretty solid season in the OVC. Uh, we'll address the rumors that Coach Ray Harper has been looking at other jobs besides JSU. We're going to kind of discuss Zarek Cooper's potential NFL career, and then we'll be going over a football preview, and we're going to try to sell all of you Eastern Washington fans on showing up to Jacksonville for that game in September. We ready to go? I'm ready if y'all are. I'm ready. All right, so first... So first on the dock, we have the baseball team. Now, for those of you who did not follow the baseball team, they did a very good job later in the year. They had a some slow starts, but at the beginning of conference play, they started to really pick it up. Um, they did not lose any home series to OVC opponents, if I'm correct, and were finally able to chase down Belmont at the end of the season to win the regular season OVC title. Now let's talk about the tournament for a minute. That's really what people – enjoy hearing about is the postseason. So what do you guys think about JSU's run in the postseason? Well, I think you can only take away good things from the, the JSU baseball postseason. Now, I did not watch the games on TV. I listened to them on the radio. Shout out Mike Paris, big fan buddy. But um, for a team that's never had a, a tournament win before, to get two tournament wins, I don't think you can take away any negatives from that, even if we did get absolutely stomped by Ole Miss twice. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm, the same. I'm, I'm very impressed with the uh, baseball team this year. Uh, shout out to actually Alex Strachan, or however you say his last name, uh, former Spartan senator, my alma mater. So he's he's done Senator Nation really proud and has done Gamecock Nation very proud as well. Yeah, and while I'm on that subject, shout out to my boy Andrew Naismith, Locking down first base from Auburn, he and I graduated together, so good to see him doing some things with the baseball team this year. But as we look over this postseason, starting with the OVC tournament, we've got an extra innings win with Belmont, followed by two pretty definitive wins against Austin P and Moorhead. And then we jump over to the Oxford Regional. And as we mentioned, Ole Miss did stomp the Gamecocks twice, but you've also got two really good wins against some solid Power 5 opponents in Illinois in Clemson, specifically a 9-2 win over Clemson in the second-to-last game of the regional. I just think when you look at it, you know, baseball team did a great job. And once again, another, you know, it was solid performance all around, specifically Alex Strachan. Um, his hitting really, really led the Gamecocks in the postseason. Um, what else y'all have to say about that? Um, on Alex, uh, I noticed in the regular season he uh, hit – 
a lot of walk-off home runs against uh, Georgia is the big one that I noticed. And then he, from what I could tell from watching the games against Illinois and Clemson, uh, he had a really good um, performance in both games. He did. I think the biggest thing to notice is he just had good approaches at the bat. Um, I think that comes down to coaching. Um, you know, while I enjoy a certain level of aggression at the plate, I also understand that, you know, they, they made, you know, pitchers work for their at-bats. And so they were getting guys to throw five or six pitches every at-bat. And eventually a pitcher's going to make a mistake. And, you know, as we look at the numbers, you know, he made them pay eventually. So, If we're talking about, you know, people leading the Gamecocks baseball team, we can't not mention Nick Gaddis. Absolutely not. Oh, we have no. to mention if, if If there was a captain of the baseball team, it would be Nick Gaddis, and he would be a fantastic captain. I'm looking Absolutely. at the stats right now. He led in home runs. He led in batting average. Uh, he was definitely the, the the leading heart of the team. 100%. Um, and I think the biggest thing this team kind of sold on was, you know, what happens through innings one through eight doesn't matter because if we come, come out with a win um, in inning nine, you know, that's what – people are going to look at in the box scores, what were the run totals. And they did a good job of, you know, gotten through some tough starts against a team like like Auburn earlier in the season. You know, they were down 6 nothing and rattle off 11 unanswered. And just like that, you've got to win against a really big SEC opponent who ended up, you know, on a, you know, as I digress a little, ended up, you know, going to the College World Series. They also pick up a win against Georgia, who um, was undoubtedly the best team in the SEC all year. Um, and so I am, you know, you look at this team and they just, they won the games they had to, um, you know, they had big games here and there. They gave themselves a chance to get an at-large bid, even if they didn't need one. So, you know, big shout out to the baseball team for doing what they had to. Does anyone Absolutely. have any, I commend uh, the base. go for it, buddy. Uh, I was just going to say, I commend the baseball team this year. This is the best baseball team I've seen at Jacksonville state since I came to JSU in 2014. Uh, very solid season, even though the record may not have shown it. Very solid season by the Gamecocks. Yeah, I wasn't into Gamecock baseball before I got here, and now I am. Like, I know I'm going to be at a lot of games next year. Um, and it really just because of this postseason, you know, just another program that JSU has been able to put together, um, you know, in winning fashion. So. I, I mean, I think everyone can agree. If there's one thing that was left to be desired this season, I think it's coming from the... Um, I was personally not too too impressed with the, the pitching staff, but, I mean, we got some young guys. It is what it is. Yeah, a lot of young guys. A lot of young guys, but, you know, you look at the numbers, you know, you'd see five or six runs given up, but then you'd also see, you know, nine or ten runs scored. And- realize that you know it was really low stress throughout the staff they just had to know that if, if they could keep the runs lower they know the offense could pick them up and they did that a lot this season other than that i don't have a lot to say about uh the baseball team i mean shout out to those that were drafted which was what gaddison farmer yeah i believe yeah, yeah they're, playing farmer. Summer leagues. they're playing in summer leagues uh Strachan is playing for the Larks out of 
somewhere in Kansas. I can't remember where, but the team is called the Larks. I mean, what better name than the Larks? I had to look up the name, and when I found out what it was, and it was a bird, I was like, "Hey, at least he's staying in the bird family." So I was I was very happy to hear that he got drafted by the Larks. And then Gaddis got drafted by Mets. Yeah, sound right. Uh, I thought Gaddis was doing a summer league, but I may be wrong about that. Yeah, he was drafted 16th round by New York. And then we had Garrett Farmer went too. Where did he go? I can't remember. Orioles? Orioles? Someone fact check me. (laughs) Yeah, drafted by Baltimore. And I believe he was the – I want to say he was – um, drafted 25th round by the Baltimore Orioles. So two top um, top 25 rounds um, that include a JSU Gamecock. Big step forward for the program, and it definitely is going to put them you know, on the map in the mid-major conferences in terms of a program that can develop Absolutely. potential professional talent. Um, so all in all, you know, we look at the baseball team, had a great run. Um, solid season. I know I went to several games and it was always enjoyable to watch them play. Even if they weren't winning, you know, it's, it's always cool to say that your, your home program um, has a, you know, a tradition of being solid. And this year was, was like none other. So shout out to them for really having a good year. Yeah. I say we move on to basketball. I think that's one that a lot of people, you know, kind of connected with this year um, with all the different fan pages supporting the program. I think there was a lot more publicity than there was for the other programs. Um, the biggest thing was basketball, I noticed, um, was Coach Harper's coaching and really just kind of changing the system he wants to run and fitting it to the um, players that he had on the roster, specifically Jason Burnell and uh, Ty Hudson. Working them in the point guard power forward uh, combo really, really helped the team out in the long run. Yeah, I mean – yeah, you know, Burnell was he was our dude. He was he was the heart of the team, man. He was our Draymond Green. Yeah, he um, did a little bit of everything. Seventeen point two points per game for Jason Burnell on the season, and these are ESPN stats. Um, he also led rebounds and assists. It looks like he did lead the team in assists. Yeah. Um, it was a very it was, it was kind of a weird because JSU didn't have you know a true lead guard like they have with in the past with Malcolm Drumright. Um, this year, you know, with Ty Hudson coming in in his first year as the starter, it was kind of point guard by committee. You know, Ty would, you know, he would run the offense from the position, but Jason led the team in assists. That yeah. tells you it was a lot of just kind of moving the ball around instead of running, you know, the play, running the plays through one or two players at a time. Yeah, and I mean, as a result, our assist leader averaged three point one assists per game. Yeah, but you know, you look at everyone in the starting lineup. I believe everyone in the starting lineup averaged at least one assist per game, including. Um, including Marlon Hunter, who's been known as one of our best scorers, not so much a passer, but he's no, he's always been known as a scorer. And for him to average one or two assists a game, I think that tells you, you know, you know, they were really sold on the we first kind of movement. Yeah. I, I liked how the basketball team played this year. Um, I'm definitely bitter about the tournament, the OVC tournament. Um, who isn't, to be, to be honest? I have nothing against the players – on Murray State, I have nothing against John Morant, but I really felt uh, 
what was it Scott Van Pelt tweeted? The the whistle was brutal that night. Yes. Absolutely. It was. Absolutely. As someone who was there in person, I can tell you guys that's one I don't want to say the worst officiating performances I've seen because I have seen worse specifically, you know, in t- the 2017 season um against an unnamed program in Tennessee. We won't mention them, but um <laughs> but <laughs> there's a little there's a little salt there. Um if you know, you know. Um but no, the officiating against Murray State, well, it wasn't great. It could have been better, but it could have been worse. Like I said, I've seen worse. I think the biggest thing is, you know, even with a, a a whistle that really was not pocketed on one side of the court and on the other side, you know, they kind of let people play. You know, you look at JSU, they fought through a lot. Um, you know, I actually pulled up the numbers in that game. I don't think people, you know, talk enough, you know, not just about Jason Burnell. Let's talk about Christian Cunningham. That guy put up 15 and 12 in the semifinal game. 15 and 12. Christian um, Cunningham. Been a lot. He's been through a lot. He's been in and out of the starting lineup throughout the year, kind of trading places with him and Jakara Cross. Um, last year, he was kind of, and the year before, he was, you know, he was overshadowed by uh, Norbert Giga. You know, it's re- this was supposed to be his year to shine, and he went through a lot, and he still ended up putting up good numbers, you know, and when, when they needed him most, he put up arguably his best game of the year. The thing about Christian Cunningham, I would find myself doing this a lot. First of all, I thought he was almost seven foot tall. From from being in the peat, watching him play, I thought he was close to seven feet tall. I think he's actually six nine, maybe six seven. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, he's he shorter than I thought he was. Seven. He has a very big presence on the court. And watching these games live, I'd be like, man, Christian is having a fantastic game. And I'd look up at the scoreboard, and he's got like three points. And he's just just his presence on the court was very impactful and it doesn't really show through the stats a lot of the time. Yeah, it was really rebounding and defense. You know, you mentioned how Jason Burnell was our dream on green. I'd say Christian was kind of our version of Al Horford. He wouldn't always, you know, score 20 points, wouldn't always grab, you know, 10 rebounds, but he always played solid defense. Um, He always did what he had to do. He moved the ball well. On underrated passer out of the post, I don't think that's what a lot of people talk about he could pass the ball not that he would ever be double teamed but you know if they ran a set where they were trying to get someone open in the corner you know he always had his eyes open you know ready to make the kick instead of trying to go over the top um out of the post um you know I mean you just look at everything he did like you said his presence it's more than it's more than the numbers you know it really goes deeper into just you know seeing how he affects the rest of the play yeah Yeah, you're forgetting to mention one guy Jamal Gregory. Our human highlight reel? <laughs> Literally. Jamal Gregory, I mean, over the entire season, he had two 20-point games and one double-double, and including a career-high 25 points with 15 rebounds uh, in a 91-80 to 80 overtime win over Belmont in the regular season. We were at that game. I remember. Oh, my God. I'll say about halfway through the second half, I think I looked over at some of the other guys in the pet man. I was like, it doesn't feel like it, but Jamal's having a really good game. And it wasn't because he wasn't playing well. It's just because the game was so back and forth with the pedigree of Belmont. You're like, oh, Belmont's going to win. Instead of worrying about that, you know, worrying about Jamal's performance, we were worried about Belmont's, you know, how they were going to respond. 
and you know you look up at the scoreboard and all of a sudden he's got 20 points before overtime and you're like good lord um not to mention his rebounding was on t- was on top and of course that goes back to his athleticism the kid can jump um yeah Jamal I didn't realize just how good of a season he put together. I think he shot a career high from three for someone who's not really known as a three-point shooter. Uh, you talking about Jamal Gregory from three? Yeah, what was his, his percentage? percentage 28.8. Still not great. It's not great. For all of you people um, who, are, but who all of you are not basketball fans. That's not very good. If we're being honest, our three-point game is was this past year not fantastic. No, absolutely not. No. Nothing compared no. Nothing compared to the season before. No, the season before it was bombs away and that's because Malcolm Drumright was a very very good three-point shooter and his and while he's not on the level of say a um a Bryce Brown or a Jared Harper, you know, and pull up from the logo when they want, um he still had enough space um in order for you know, to free up space for other people. It was, you know, that gravity pulling the defense in, you know, he made people better by forcing the defense to play differently. But I have our I have our team stats. The team was not a good three point shooting team. Um they were worse than you know, three hundredth in the country in made three pointers, almost three hundredth in the country in in attempted threes, and they were three hundred tenth in the country in percentage at Thirty-one point five percent. Thirty-one point five. Does anyone want to guess who our top uh, percentage three-point shooter was? I would feel like it would either be. Um, I feel like it's either Jason or uh, Detorian. I'm actually going to say Ty Hudson. It is Detorian. I figured because I know really? he. I, I knew I. I thought it'd be Detorian because I remember at the end of the year he would go off for like five or six straight threes and we had never heard of the kid's name. And I remember that Murray state, they brought him in for like 30 seconds and they were trying to get, they wanted to get a play open for him to shoot a three out of the wing and they got it and he drained at bottoms and they pulled him out. And I looked over at uh, Kayla McDonald and Kevin, a couple other buddies from hardcore. I was like, next year he's going to be the starting shooting guard and he'll be our leading scorer. That was one of my favorite moments. That was one of my favorite moments. Coach Harper put him in, give him the ball, drain a three, set him right back down. Talk about doing your job, boys. Yeah, that's the definition of role player, if I may say so myself. Yeah. But, I mean, we didn't shoot terrible, terrible. Our top guys, Jason Burnell shot 31-9, Marlon Hunter was 35-8, Ty Hudson 34-5, and Jamal Gregory was 28-8. Mostella was 31-1. But, yeah, um, Dietrich had a um, – now, if we want to talk about Christian's three-point percentage. Well, do he I, doesn't have a percentage – he doesn't have a percentage listed on sports reference. No, I have 0.0 on ESPN. Yeah, that's what I have. I don't think he made it – I don't think he's made a three I, yet did in his he, career. Does he shoot threes no. or are these like, you know, half – or it's about to be halftime prayers? No, these are the – he shoots like – one or two a game, three a week max. Let me um, see. Let me see his total. But um, his percentages this year, he stopped. He stopped shooting threes this year. Um, this says I don't have any attempted this year. This says three point field goals attempted zero. That can't be true. 
Who knows? On three points? What'd you say? On three-point percentage? On three points attempted. Zero. Season total on ESPN. Christian Cunningham. Huh. Which, there's no way that's true. Absolutely not. He was... He was all over that. Yeah, not that he was a computer, but he would take threes. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe ESPN is just incorrect. I don't think they pay a whole lot of attention to JSU basketball. (laughs) I mean, they do mix us up with Jacksonville, Florida all the time. Oh, man. I was having a conversation with someone today, um, and they're asking me if, like, does anyone ever, like, think that we're from florida and i said oh all the time you know you watch you know a basketball game on tv the only program you know that has recognition is the football program they know we're from alabama um but the baseball team both basketball teams softball team well not so much the softball team but the other programs like they they're all like oh this team's from from florida and then someone else who's working the game is like no they're from alabama um of course no one's ever heard of jacksonville so there you go yeah. If you um the main playoff game, the football playoff game, uh, right as the band was about to take the field, this I I assume drunk fan screams like it's a long bus drive back to Florida. I'm like no, sir. I re- I re- please sit down. I remember this because I know me and Eric, um, we were getting a lot of stuff done to prepare for this game, um. And so he and I were squatting up in the stands, getting out, like making sure all of our signs were ready. Um, and I remember looking up, and of course, Maine people are generally very nice, but their students that day were not. And this man said, "It's a long ride back to Jackson, uh, to Florida." And I just looked at him, looked at someone else, and said, yep. "You can cure ignorant. You can't cure stupidity. You cannot cure stupidity." <laughs> Yikes. That was big I, just, oof. I try to think about moments like that instead of anything. Oh, dude, that game was miserable. But that's that's a discussion. Yeah, no, we don't day. need to talk about Maine right now because that was absolutely, absolutely. miserable. Oh um, no, 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 no. I heard Chelsea went to Maine and she said it was cold. Uh, the fans were terrible. The uh, game was just absolutely miserable, and I kept bringing up Fresco, and she was just like, "This it was oh, a no, whole it was... different kind of cold." And she said the only, she said the only good thing about that main trip was oh no, food, food was awesome. Let's talk about some lobster. Um, I know me and Eric um made a point to find lobster, even if we didn't get to actually get full lobster, but like the whole yeah. We, we definitely we had, lobster. We had lobster. It wasn't a full main lobster, but it was still really good. But, yeah, in, you know, full disclosure, yeah. <laughs> I did make a sign. A lot of pictures of it. The sign said, your lobster is just okay. I actually, right? Yeah, if y'all want to hear uh, something, I still have that sign in my, in my closet in my bedroom right now. <laughs> but if you're wondering how main fans took that, um, the fan, the adult older fans thought that was real funny. Took pictures of it. Students 
did not think it was nearly as funny. They did not. They did the not kids also much. did not enjoy it. Um, no. I, I remember pulling out those signs for the very first time after we'd finally found our place we were going to chill out before the game. And me and Eric pulled the signs out. And this pack of kids, there's maybe 20 of them, like 10, 11 years old, just started screaming at us over a, over, over a sign that I really us. don't even think they understood that much. Um, but because we were in no. red and they weren't, they assumed it had to be bad. And also, if you're a if you're a main fan that and ever listens to this, we're not trashing your fan base because generally, y'all were great fans. However, we did have some rough experiences with the student section and these delinquent children. Oh. Let me tell you about these delinquent children real quick. I'm sorry. I don't mean if you're a main fan, I don't want to call your children delinquents. But this particular group of nine to eleven year olds, they were delinquents. I decided that I wanted to make <laughs> I wanted to make peace with them. Right? Which is fair, you know? So I walk over and I'm like talking to them and they're kind of ribbing me. And one of them has a box of Skittles, right? And he's like, do you want some Skittles? And I'm like, this is a trap. But I'm like, yeah, sure. I want some Skittles. And I hold up my hand and he pours like five or six Skittles in my hand. And then he looks me in the eyes and he whacks them out of my hand onto the floor. And that was probably the most savage moment I've ever had with anyone, you know, under the age of 12. But then I was like, now no one can have Skittles. And this man pulled out a whole new box of Skittles. Brandon, you must be enjoying story Dang. time right now. I am enjoying story time. I did not have the luxury of going on that trip, and I, I hated not being able to go to that trip. Um, It was good for all of, like, the few hours the night before. Um, And then we woke up and went to the stadium. No, we didn't even just... It was more the fact that the minute we finished rehearsal with um with their band, it just turned into people hating us. Their band was also really weird, but we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard stories. We'll, we'll talk about that over our football team um conversation. But I want to get to these Ray Harper rumors. Um, yeah, let's talk about these. All right, can I close out the basketball review just? Briefly. Yes, go ahead. All right, so in the past, we have not done well against big-name teams. We've always had a blowout loss or something. Correct. So I'd, li- I'd like to start with these big-name teams and uh, say how much we lost by. We played Penn State, lost by 15 points. But we were winning that we game at one point. We were, and I remember working out at Stevenson and of uh, – being really excited and then getting the notification about 45 minutes later saying, oh, J.C. lost. And I was like, well, I mean, we did better against a Big Ten team or any big name team in NCAA basketball than we have done in the past. Um, Next big loss, next big name loss was Bradley from the Missouri Valley Conference, which Wichita State came from and really put the Missouri Valley Conference for basketball on the map. And that was a nine-point loss. I was very impressed with that loss. Um, we were leading in that game at 1.2, pretty convincingly from what I remember. Um, and then we had a four-point loss to Wichita State from the American. That's the one. Of the, which, I think that's the best loss of the season. Uh, Me personally. Okay, I, yes. I, I, I will say that. I was going to say this next loss is – is a better loss, but seeing the 
season that this this team had, I was like, no, that's that's an okay loss. Yeah, yeah, because I think um, I think Wichita is a better team, you know, than West Virginia. I think Wichita's a better team. Absolutely. Ever since ever since their Final Four run in two thousand. I want to say eleven. Yeah, it was early teens. Don't don't don't, don't uh, quote me on that. Um, but ever since then, they've been a powerhouse. So I was very impressed with that loss as well. And then our next loss is to a Big Twelve team, and it was a two point loss to West Virginia, which I saw the highlights and I was mad at that loss because we could have won that game. And if you're if you want to know about that Final Four run, that was two thousand thirteen. Doesn't feel like it was only six years ago, but it was. It was just six years ago. Feels like it was nearly ten years ago, but it wasn't that long. Yeah. Um I was, you know, you look at those losses, great losses. I think there, you know, there were definitely some bad losses during the conference schedule. Um, I don't think any JSU fan who follows the basketball program would disagree with that. You know, there were some losses to some below five hundred teams that really ended up causing JSU because look at how I mean JSU probably should have been the one seed when it's all said and done. But there are a lot of games they just didn't close out in the conference schedule. But those losses that you mentioned, specific, right. specifically Wichita and West Virginia, I think those are two games you can look at and say, you know, we as a program, we may not be where we can, you know, you know, make a run to the Elite Eight, you know, one year. But, you know, this is a team that definitely, you know, this isn't a two-team conference like it has been in the past with Murray and Belmont. This is definitely a three, maybe even four-team. If you say, if you throw in Austin P, this is probably a four-team conference. Um, where every year those four teams in some order are going to be the top four. Um, so, you know, tons of credit, you know, to the team for fighting through what they did because, um, you know, they had some tough games. All those games being on the road, I think the other thing, um, you know, with um, with the Pete not being in working condition until, um, until January, um, like there was no real, um, you know, we didn't have any real – home games and the home games we did have it was teams like Montevallo, um UNA, UTC, UNA, Sanford. Like, like teams that we really didn't, you know, care about when it was all said and done. Like none like those teams didn't affect anything for the season. Right. And then to close out, we were the Cancun Challenge Mind Division champions. We were, we were. So, that was that was big. Yeah, I think we beat Western Carolina, and then we had to play North Florida, and then we beat them for the champion for for the Mind Division championship. Sure, that sounds right. Yeah, it's been such it a does. long time, y'all. Like Basketball season is so oh far past for me. I had to go digging. I had to go digging into the games to get a lot of this information. Yeah, I've I've had to go digging for a lot of this stuff, like especially for these. Um, for the uh, coaching rumors and for the baseball team early in the season, like I had to dig deep to get some of these stats. Um, anyway, I think we've Oops. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, which speaking of the coaching rumors. Yeah. Speaking of those rumors, let's address those now because I've had so many people text me, Hey, is coach Harper doing this is coach Harper doing that. And I think the three of us are all ready to put a, and into those rumors. What do y'all say? He is not leaving until he has multiple years of success in the Ohio Valley and at least winning his first round game in either the NIT or the NCAA. 
Yeah, no, he's not going anywhere. The rumors, and I have them pulled up, the rumors for LSU 2017, Arkansas Little Rock last year, and then this year um, Alabama when they fired um, Avery Johnson. But he never landed an interview with Alabama, and I don't think he landed an interview with either LSU or Little Rock. And I think that just goes to, you know, part of that's, you know, JSU. We're a very unknown program. We don't really host big teams um, on our campus, so people really don't really know, you know, just how good of a coach, you know, out off the court that Ray Harper is. He's a very good recruiter, as you guys right. can see, because he's gotten guys like Jason Burnell to transfer in, and he's gotten some high school kids in, and he's turned, you know, a bunch of three-star and below guys into a into a pretend, you know, an, a conference contender um, that can potentially make a run at making these early tournament. Um, so yeah, no, Coach Harper's yeah, not going anywhere. The interesting thing I found about the LSU one is when I found that on the um, in an article, um, it didn't necessarily say that LSU was looking at him. It said they were talking. So he definitely did not land an interview, but LSU at one point was interested. Yeah, and I think that's understandable. You know, I mean, you look at a guy who in his first season as a head coach – won the OVC tournament. So, I mean, there's no question that he's a great coach. I think the issue was, is he ready, um, you know, to move on to a bigger conference? He has had some really good coaching success with Western Kentucky. But again, Western Kentucky is not a powerhouse in basketball, nor is their conference. So it's easier to have success in a conference like that. The OVC among the majors, for some of you who don't follow basketball, it's a very big conference. This is a conference that you know, always puts out a really good team. Belmont's always an incredible team. We'll see how they do with um, with Rick Bird retiring. Uh, Murray State has put together some really good teams, including, you know, this most recent one headlined by John Morant. Um, but Jacksonville, you know, this is a conference that they could look at from a basketball standpoint and say, we don't have to leave. From a football standpoint, you know, yeah, it's not the greatest conference, but you know, in basketball, this is a conference that you know you win, you beat Austin P, Murray State, and Belmont. And you've got three really, really good wins. It's not like you're playing, you know, in the in the SoCom where your best win is probably you know UTC. Um, I mean, I mean, that's just the nature of baseball. Wofford, yeah. And I mean, that being said, you know, JSU, it is a smaller program, right? You know, smaller school, but it's not like we don't play people and people know about Coach Ray Harper. We scrimmaged Alabama last year. Yeah. Yes. Last year. Like, last year and, and we, yeah. We beat up on we them. Beat them. It, it, it was like 90, 92 to 68 or something like that. I mean, yeah, it, some, was it was like a 30 point game. Down. Yeah. We but, hammered them. Here's a question. Do you think that Ray Harper is the best basketball coach in the state of Alabama? No. Absolutely. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Pearl, Pearl is the best, is the was, best coach was, in Alabama. I was reading this article earlier on the Aniston Star by Mark Edwards, and here's a little quote. Ray Harper, 57, just wrapped up his third year at Jacksonville State, and he's the best coach in Alabama, bar none. Yes, I know how good Pearl is. Harper is better. I just well, don't I agree with that. Look at, if you, they're neck and neck in my opinion because if you look at how they coach as well as them off the court, I mean, Bruce Pearl and Ray Harper are pretty much the same person in my eyes. Yeah, they're very, they're very, you know, involved in the other programs. I know I've seen, you know, Coach Harper at a lot of baseball games. And, you, I mean, 
with Auburn being a high-profile program, you guys know Bruce Pearl is at football games and baseball games all the time. Um, if he has to, he won't wear a shirt. Like, like it's his choice. Like, I mean, he's insane. Um, on and on the court, their systems are different, but they're catered for different players. You know, uh, Bruce Pearl's system is catered more to um, high volume shooting guards like like uh, Bryce Brown, whereas Coach Harper he caters his to post play with a drive. You know, with kicking it out to shooters in the corner. While yeah, they do like, so. yeah, it's more post play for them now. From a coaching standpoint, as someone who's grown up, I grew up an Auburn fan. Bruce Pearl is definitely, um, I think he's a better coach than Ray Harper. I think where Ray Harper maybe has an edge over Pearl, there's not a shadow over Ray Harper's, you know, coaching record. You know, with the whole thing that went down with Aaron Kraft all those years ago with Bruce Pearl while he was at Tennessee, you know, everyone, you know, if you don't like him, the first thing you're going to say is, well, he cheated earlier in his career. Um, how do we know he's not cheating now? Coach Harper does not have that on his record. You know, he's not, he's never cheated. He's never been accused of cheating. He's never been accused of lying about cheating. You know, he's kept his record clean. And because of that, no one thinks that he's running his program dirty. They assume that it's a clean run program, which it is. Um, but I, I, I believe just from, you know, from an on court, you know, adjustment standpoint, I, I mean, I think Bruce Pearl's a better coach. It really doesn't take a basketball genius to do that. I mean, you just look at the numbers and, I mean, Auburn was in the final four and has back-to-back SEC championships. Um, and JSU has the one OBC championship. Um, but like I said, you know, with Ray Harper being, you know, cleaner off the court with his history, I think that's where people are going to try to, you know, put him on the pedestal, which I, you know, I understand. I'm certainly happy with, I think he's a great coach. I just think when, you know, people need to be careful with the, with the, is he better than Bruce Pearl already? But here's the thing though. We're not going to pretend like it's a level playing field. Like Auburn absolutely no. has better facilities, better staff, better recruiting tools, more money than a school like Jacksonville State. So, bearing that in mind, it's very tough to compare coaches because they're dependent on what their you know athletic department can provide, monetarily specifically. Um, Which I will say, Jacksonville State's athletic department has gotten better in the last five years. That's true. Yeah, yeah they, they have. It. They have. I think it's just you know. You know, JSU, unlike Auburn, JSU can handcuff themselves if they do too much with each program, whereas Auburn, Auburn can, you know, can dole out the money wherever they want, knowing that they're going to get it tenfold from the fans, you know, in ticket sales and different, you know, um, supports. Like, JSU doesn't have that. I don't know if, it, you know, if you've been to a game at the Pete, you know what I'm talking about. There really aren't that many people there. Um, whereas, you know, you go to Auburn or another school in the SEC, the place is packed pretty much every night. Um, and, you know, same with, same with, you know, the football programs at JSU versus, you know, at SEC, you know, JSU can pack in at its best 24, 25,000 people, you know, the smallest SEC stadium for football is Vanderbilt at like 50,000. Which we will get to that topic later on. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think, I think Brandon has some stuff to say about that. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so for those of you don't don't worry, Ray Harper's not going anywhere anytime soon because JC's gonna have to basically own the OVC and be able to win some games in the in the postseason. Which they which haven't could, yet. It could happen could soon. Be, and then, exactly. I was about to say with John Morant 
leaving Murray State and Bird retiring from Belmont, might be time for JSU to step up and claim the OVC in basketball, not just only football. Please. It would make our lives a lot easier. It absolutely sure. would. It, it would give Coctopus a better record than it shows. Coctopus. Just so everyone – let's give a little background on Coctopus. <laughs> oh, Lord. Now, Coctopus <laughs> has not become particularly public to all these different groups of people in the FCS fan page and, and this page. But Coctopus is a, uh, is a good luck charm for Jacksonville State Athletics, and he is a uh, rubber chicken with two octopus tentacles. Yeah, so Coctopus, right? Um, he goes to pretty much every love event. It. So if you're listening to this, love it. Absolutely and you want to follow it. Coctopus, look up Coctopus on Facebook, request to join the group. It's good stuff. Now, I will. Yeah. This is some band talk for Adam Willie. Yeah, this is for is you, Coctopus, so you better listen to this. Is Coctopus going to make an appearance at Bands of America Grand Nationals? Oh, most 100- definitely. And 5%. Coctobus will make an appearance at Grand Nationals. That 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 didn't even... I don't... That's only for Adam, because I know that um that Adam is planning to be there. Um, but Coctobus, personally, if I have my way, I will find a way for him to be at pretty much even... I'm going to try to get him to a lot of away games. I know several people on the baseball and football teams, and I'm going to try to use those connections to get him on the road with the teams. He has. That he's been be on the awesome. road with the basketball team, traveling with Hardcore, the pet band. He, he hasn't been he has. to any other. He went to Maine. Um, he did go to yeah, Maine. He with has the not been team. to um, an away game that the band has not been to. Correct. And we're going to try and fix that this year. This is going to. Last year was kind of a trial run. This year is our. All right. You know, full steam ahead um, with everything. Um, but yes, Cockpus will be there. And he's great, so you want to get a picture with him. Get a picture with him now before he's big. That way you can say you were there in the beginning. There and you're we not, go. There that way you're not because when he's big and we've got like you know two or three thousand people on that group, if you you know put a picture and say hey I got a picture with Cocktail, you're gonna look like a bandwagon. If you do it now when we barely have like two hundred people, you're gonna look like a real OG, and that's what we really want. Here, you guys ready for the segue? Talking about somebody who's you know small but is gonna be big, Zarek Cooper. To the NFL. You okay, like I, don't, segue? I I like the segue, except he's not small. Let's talk about that. So Derek Cooper, he's he's got the body of a prototypical NFL quarterback, 6'4", 225, 230-ish, cannon for an arm. I think the only issue, you know, the question is, is he going to the NFL? And we were talking about this before. We don't, no one, we don't think he is. Most of us kind of know he's not. Like, I was I think unaware. I was completely unaware that this was a thought until somebody mentioned that he would declare for the draft early. That's just – I just – that I think was not even ludicrous. a thought to me. Yeah. As I said before, simply no. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen, and I think the biggest reason for that, uh, Zarek's a winner, and the one thing he didn't do at JSU last year was win a big postseason game. He beat ETSU – and you could tell the team really didn't even care about that. They were they knew that they'd be playing someone big the next week, probably Maine. Um, and we kind of got hosed out of the Kennesaw game there at the end. Even though Zarek did his, it was doing his best Johnny Manziel impersonations the entire time. That game, um, watching Zarek play in that game enough. was probably the first time when I was like, okay, this kid might be real. 
Like we might have something special here. Cause yeah. Cause all year, you know, he'd, he'd been, he'd, he'd been a little, you know, little trigger happy. Um, you know, he'd let some throws go that afterwards, you know, be a pickoff. And you're like, why would you throw that? That was, yeah. Was, you know, there's no place it's getting picked off, but then he'd make throws like he did against Kennesaw where he'd, you know, rolled his left on the, what would have been the last play of the game if it didn't work. And he just, you know, yeets it into the end zone. And fortunately for him, Josh Pearson, who is the GOAT wide receiver at JSU. I'm going to say that by the now. By the time he leaves JSU, he will be known as the greatest wide receiver. Wow. In the wow. Interesting fact. Interesting fact about Josh Pearson. I have actually seen him play when he was in high school. He played at a rival of my alma mater here in North Alabama. So I've seen him play since 2013, 12, as early as 12. So I've seen him grow as a wide receiver, and I am very happy that he is a Gamecock. Oh, yeah, no, the dude's incredible. Like, if y'all have ever played, you know, NBA 2K, and there's the label on a player's card, and it's the, the diamond moments, like, that's every game for Josh. He makes catches that you really don't think he could, he could catch. Kind of like kind of like Josh Barge, except I think Pearson is more of a pure, you know, receiver. Josh just made crazy catches because Eli Jenkins couldn't throw a ball to save his life. Right. Yeah, it happens. It as happens. For, as as for Cooper, like I told y'all before, unless JSU goes all the way this year and wins the championship, I I don't think he's going to go NFL. And even if JSU does go all the way and win, I think he may still come back and try to do a back-to-back. I think going to the draft early would be a big mistake, even if we go and we win the championship. I don't think there's a scenario right now in which I would think, oh, that's a really good idea. If I were his summer trainer, which is, which all of us know it's Cam Newton, I'm pretty sure Cam Newton would tell him, you're at JSU, you're still developing, the longer you wait, the better you're going to be off, the better off you're going to be. The weird thing about Zare Cooper to me, and... You know, they say people say this about every sport, you know, but as a quarterback, you'd think a good quarterback makes the throws that they should, you know, and a great quarterback can complete throws that they really have no business completing. Right. Correct. Zara Cooper seems to me somehow. Making throws that he shouldn't and missing throws that he should. Yeah, he's kind of in a weird gray area. He's on a very weird gray area. Watching these games, it's just people talk about overthrowing the slant, right? Which is a fair criticism. Yeah, he's been known to overthrow the ball sometimes, but then games like seeing him make those mistakes, it's just so frustrating. Because sometimes he'll drop back and he'll scramble around for what feels like you know a full seven, eight seconds, and then just launch the ball, and you're like, okay, another pick's coming, and then you know Josh Pearson will pull it down. And it's like, was this calculated or was this just a prayer? But he does it on a, not a regular basis, but a pretty regular basis. So it must be some sort of calculated. I don't know. It's a little little strange. I think, I think he has, I think he has, I think he kind of has, you know, a lot of quarterbacks have like an internal clock where they say after three seconds, you either throw it away or get out of the pocket. 
Yeah. Unfortunately for Zarek, I think his internal clock is set to about a second and a half. Mainly, <laughs> and part of that, you know, JSU's playbook is you know very similar to, to a playbook like, like Auburn. It's a lot of you know quick screens, slants, uh, pop passes. They don't really throw a lot of you know true you know passing trees together like they would in the NFL. So Zarek's forced to make a lot of quick decisions, and sometimes in an offense like that, there will be mistakes made. Um, you know, Cam Newton, as great as he was at Auburn, he still, you know, threw two interceptions in the national championship and lost a fumble. Um, so, I mean, that tells you, like, even the best of quarterbacks can make mistakes. Now, I'm not saying Zarek Cooper is, you know, Cam Newton reincarnate. I'm not. What I'm saying is that Zarek has the potential to be, you know, that level of a passer, even if he's making the mistakes. Because what I've noticed, you know, everyone's going to talk about, oh, he missed, you know, he overthrows slants. He'd throw it deep down the middle when he didn't need to, and he'd get picked off. Imagine Zarek, imagine you know, the numbers he puts up if he doesn't do that. We're talking about a 4,000-yard, maybe 40-touchdown season with less than 10 interceptions if he can keep, if he can, you know, improve on his errors of last year. Um, I mean, and Zarek's not a guy that was you know, not recruited. The kid was a four-star who went to Clemson and was going to be the starter until they recruited Trevor Lawrence. Um. And by the time Trevor Lawrence got there, I mean, I think he knew that he wasn't going to be able to start over him. Um, you know, if he, I mean, if he fixes these errors, I mean, the kid's going to be great. And I'm actually looking at, you know, the roster, you know, who we have on, on roster at the quarterback position. Just let's say Zarek, by some miracle, he goes for like, you know, video game numbers and he ends up going to the NFL and gets drafted. Here's who's on roster after him. Chappelle Wade. Zion Webb and Jake Weisner. Now, for those of you who are wondering who would probably be the starter, it would probably be Zion Webb. Yeah, after. it would probably be Zion. Oh, absolutely, Zion. Um, the only other person I could see really putting in the work to get there probably Chappelle Wade. Um, um, Wade, Webb, and uh, Weisner, they're all, they were all freshmen last year, so they still have plenty of time, and I think Chappelle Wade redshirted, so he'll still have four years. But like I said, I just don't see Zarek leaving. I think it'd be unwise of him to do so. I think he could lose a lot of money. Even if you get drafted sixth or seventh round, he could move that from sixth or seventh to third or fourth by staying another year Absolutely. and putting up more big numbers. And also, now, go ahead. He, he had his difficulties, but, you know, stats interceptions don't tell the whole story. How was his protection? You know, if he's having to throw the ball out after, you know, one and a half seconds, half of every play, he's going to get picked off. Um, oh, no, no question. And that's a big story with JSU. The offensive line play last year was not very good as it has been in the past. And a lot of that, you know, you know, they lost a lot of experience to graduation the year before. So here we are. We're looking at, you know, a lot of young guys this year. I think this O-line will be a lot better. They have some transfers coming in. Everyone who started last year has gotten another year of experience, um, another year in spring practice. Um, this could be a good year for JSU, and when I say good year, that's relative because JSU football generally is going to win ten games a year. Nine to ten games is it can be counted on. I think this is the kind of year that JSU could potentially, you know, if you look at the you know the Eastern Washington game is the one I look at that's going to be the biggest challenge. Absolutely. Um, let's throw that out for a minute. I think every game but Eastern Washington, I think JSU should win. I think they're definitively better than everyone else. They don't have to go to southeast Missouri, which has always been a, a, a location of issue for them. Um, they I do think, go to Austin P, though. 
that you go to Austin Peay, which isn't too bad. You know, it's just Tennessee, but it is Austin Peay, which is a program that in the past has put together some pretty good football teams. Um, but I think, you know, you look at the schedule, it sets up really well. A lot of home games, not many road games. Um, and, of course, the headliner is Eastern Washington. We'll get to that in a second. Um, you know, all things considered, this is a year that JSU, you know, could potentially make a run at the Final Four of the FCS championship, potentially getting to the championship game, maybe even winning it. But I think, you know, we don't have to worry about defense. I think this year falls in the arms of Zarek Cooper and how this offense looks. Because we know last year the offense struggled to run the football. Um, but we had a great passing game, so we didn't have to worry about it. I think this year is the year that if they can get the running game, they don't have to run for 250, 300 yards a game. If they can run for 100, let's say 175 yards a game. Zarek is the kind of guy that I think could, on his own, put up 300 yards of total offense. Um, just because he can sling it around as much as he can. I think if this team has a solid running game, it's going to be a really, really good year for Jacksonville. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The two other games that I have um, have a star by pretty much um, that for out-of-conference is our two rivalry games against UTC and UNA. Like they, like they have always said on the Fans Nation podcast, rivalry games, no matter how bad a team is or how good a team is, it's always a toss-up game. Yeah, and I think one thing to notice about a team like UNA, um, you know, their first year um, in the FCS, they put together a, re- a you know a pretty good season, um, which I don't think anyone expected that. Um, I don't they, think I don't think UNA the people expected UNA to play. Uh, well, number one to beat. Southern Utah last year in their very first FCS game of the season, and then two weeks later, go to NDSU and hold NDSU to under 40 points. Which is a lot, considering how well that team runs on offense, just not from, you know, a high-tempo standpoint, because they're not, they're a personal, but they just, you know, they don't turn the ball over, they have efficient plays, um, you know, to hold NDSU to what they did, you know, that that's credit, because that's Obviously, none of us have been to the Fargo Dome, so um, you know, in the comments section when we when we post this, you know, Adam Willie, you can tell us the Fargo Dome's a tough place to go. Um, it's a Should've wild been in twenty seventeen though. Still salty about that KSU loss. Oh no, no question, no question. We win that game, we're going to North Dakota State, and you know that that because whoever we would have played in the quarters, we were, we most likely would have beat them. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I believe so. Talking about rivalries, I personally have never thought of UTC as a big rival. I know there's, for some reason, uh, a lot, a lot of people. When did you get to JSU? What was the question? Say again? When did you get to JSU? 2017. Okay. Okay, so he wasn't here for 2015. 14 and 15? It, it's bad. I do not like UTC at all. Yeah, I know. I was uh, I was at the UTC to, playoff game. I remember you, that. If you want to compare that the JSU UTC rivalry to an to two FBS rivalries, you could easily compare it to the Iron Bowl, and you could oh, easily I don't know compare about that. You could eat well. 
This next one, you could easily compare it to Georgia Georgia Tech. I'll give you Georgia Georgia Tech, but I'm not going to. Yeah, that sounds right. The hate between JSU and UTC is for an FCS rivalry. Now, granted, you Montana and Montana State fans, y'all got us there. North Dakota State, South Dakota State. Yeah, y'all have us beat there, but in the South. It's one of the best rivalries. Oh, my. It's one of the best rivalries in the. One of the most worst rivalries. God, I can't talk today. I think the fun thing about UTC is that the history goes beyond what happens on the field. There's just general disdain between fans in that game. I know in the 2015 playoff game, I was there, and the UTC fans were on some kind of level. Um, They they were feeling bold. They must have been high or drunk or both. Because, to me, no ordinary person would have thrown beer, not only on a player, but on a band member, on when we're wearing our Shaco. Oh, it takes a special kind of kind of dumb for that. Um, and no, now, to well, some, no, I mean, as a person that, I mean, as a person that came in 2017, my personal experience, UTC has just always been a... A pretty, a pretty easy, not easy, but not a difficult victory. You know, I personally feel much more of a rivalry with Kennesaw State because that's I have a lot of friends that go to Kennesaw State. It's pretty close, and it's always just it's always been a competitive game. And same with me with UNA, because of where my high school was located is located, there were a lot of people that ended up going to UNA. So to me, there's more of a rivalry with UNA than there is UTC. But then again, they were really trying to make something. Then again, they're trying to make something out of the Kennesaw State. It's another. It's another rivalry. Well, I did in Kennesaw State, but Kennesaw State and UNA are more friendly rivalries compared to JSU and UTC, where it is hate filled on both sides. Yeah, no question. Um, all right. Well, you guys kind of. You, I mean, you guys know how the football season. Should go. We don't know how it's going to go. Obviously, teams can. Um, obviously, you know, someone can pop up and make an upset any week. That's how college football is. If you need proof, Appalachian State beating Michigan should have never happened, but it did. That's proof as any that any team can be anyone any week in any stadium. Um, or JSU beating Ole Miss in 2010. Hey, hey, look at JSU beating Ole Miss. You know, that's going to an SEC program. And SEC, you know, is the best of the best when it comes to college football. And you go to Ole Miss, and you not only beat them, it and it, not a you know in a not fluky way, like you play well the entire game, go to double overtime and win. Um, you know that I mean I, that's the proof. So for those VJC fans who are already writing the season up as you know ten and one, OVC title, making a run at the uh, or the you know top eight or top four in the championship, don't yet because there are three really tough games. That are going to be played before we even get to conference schedule. And obviously, our next topic, Eastern Washington, is the biggest one in the headliner of the entire season. Boy, let's, let's go. Talk, let's go. Let's talk, about the East, let's talk about this Eastern Washington game. So this is kind of a special um, thing for you boys at the um, on the FCS fans page. I know we've been trying to get you guys to commit to showing up. This really is just our way of selling it to you. So... My best way of selling JSU to 
visiting fans because obviously, you know, with the talk of how bad this conference is for traveling purposes, we don't get any away fans. Eastern Washington could be a change, and we think the reason here's how we're going to sell it. Really, I mean, Jacksonville is a great place. It revolves around campus. Everything that happens in Jacksonville, usually, you know, the conversation at some point involves well, how will this will affect the students. You know, how is this going to affect you know the university? It's a very it's the very definition of a college town. As someone who lives, you know, in Auburn, I can say JSU, um, like Jacksonville is a much more college town atmosphere than Auburn is. And it's because there's, you know, in Auburn, it's not just a university. Um, in Jacksonville, that's really what it is. Like if you need any, you know, proof, you know, if you type in Jacksonville, Alabama, you're not going to see, you know, downtown, you're going to see the library or you know, Bib Graves Hall, um, or the stadium. Like you're gonna see just JSU stuff. Um so if those of you Eastern Washington fans, specifically, I know that Kyler Neal and some of us have had some discussions. Um like you guys need to come down here for the game. It's a great atmosphere. Um it's loud. It's you know, it's respectful. It's it's a it's a loud and disruptive in the Canadian kind of way where we're going to be really mean to you for all of like three hours. And then right afterwards, you know, we'll take you to dinner. I like that description. Um, Canadian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, yes. Yeah. That's probably the best way to describe it is that's, that's, that's really the atmosphere. Like we're, we're, we're the Canadians of the South. We're super nice, except for those three hours that we're in the stadium. Outside of that, we're not going to trash talk. Um, well we will, but it won't be as, you know, as bloodthirsty as it will be during the game. Um, what do you guys think about trying to sell this game on the, on the Eagle faithful. Well, I have a lot to say, so I'm going to let Eric go first. All right, let's hear it, Gator. Oh, I don't have a lot to say. If you have never had a Southern college football experience, you need to have one. It's a very uniting experience for for everyone in the immediate community. Oh, yeah. Especially in a town like Jacksonville, which, as Caleb said, is more or less Jacksonville State University. That this... City of Jacksonville is Jacksonville State University. Yeah, that's what runs the city. It's it's just it's it's a great experience, and you can go get some wings, hang out. It's a good time. Uh, I feel like Brandon has a more charged argument. He, you don't have to feel that way. He definitely does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you that much because I knew that he was prepping to the minute we got to the topic. Well, I have a few things. Number one, everything that y'all just said needs to be experienced. It doesn't matter if it's at Alabama or Auburn, Georgia, Georgia Tech, UTC, West Alabama. It does not matter. Wherever there is a Southern football atmosphere, it needs to be experienced by somebody who's not from the South. Point blank and period. Um, My second reason for... Eastern Washington fans to come down to JSU. You hear us JSU fans talking about the marching Southerners. And when I say this, when I say this, I mean it 100%. The videos you see on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, do not compare to what the Southerners are in person. Yeah, so if you're not going to come for football, come for that. Um, Because I promise we'll give you a good time. My third reason is 
kind of tied to the marching Southerners, and also a reason why you Eastern Washington fans need to get tickets and plan to come to this game now, even if you are still deciding, you need to start planning as if you are going to buy the tickets now. That game will be our biggest game in JSU football history. That day is band day for the Marching Southerners, and we draw in easily 2,000-plus students to participate. So not only are you going to have those 2,000-plus students, but you're also going to have those family members, which can range from both parents to both parents and two or three siblings. So you're going to have anywhere from, at most, you're going to have 6,000 to 7,000 people total there just for band day. It's going to be a packed house. If you Eastern Washington fans show up, it'll be a packed house. I think that's, you know, that's the atmosphere that college well, football needs. Even if they don't show up, I still think it's going to be packed. Because it'll be packed for, it will, it, it'll be packed in the sense that there will be about, 14,000 football fans and about 7,000 band people. Absolutely. And it will be loud. And that's also it, important. It will, it will be loud. It will be very I, loud. I will also tell Eastern Washington fans, like Caleb and Eric warned y'all about the heckling, this student section will be the biggest. And this is saying something because the student section was pretty big when we stomped Sam Houston in 2015. It will be a lot bigger than that student section. Why? Because we're playing the national runners up from 2018. Yeah, no, this the environment is going to be absolutely insane. Um, it will. I think the biggest. It will rival. Um, it will rival some SEC schools. Well, I think the key with JSU, the passion, like I, like at Vanderbilt. You, know, you look at some of these schools, Vanderbilt. Um, I, I don't want to say Kentucky, but Kentucky, um, maybe even Arkansas. Like, the football passion isn't – like, they're not football schools. They have other programs like baseball and basketball that are way more successful. Mm-hmm. The JSU is football through and through, and the other programs kind of take a back – you know, they kind of take a, a back seat to everything else. Um, well, I mean, football runs this town. If you need any proof – just look at some of these JSU fan pages. What we're talking about year-round isn't the basketball and baseball teams we're talking about. Oh, so how's recruiting over football? Are we going to get any good coaches this year? Like, like it's the entire time it's football talk. And I think that's the kind of atmosphere that I think Eastern Washington fans would really enjoy. Yeah. Th- like, our stadium holds 24,000. With standing room, it can hold – like 27, 28-ish? Yeah. Maybe. 28 pushing it. I would say the cap would probably be 27,000. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's a solid number. Um, you know, let me pull up. I'm trying to remember exactly what our record is. Um, our record attendance, we haven't even gone full capacity yet. We were, we were just under... Uh, 60 people short and it was against yeah it was, it was on band day against liberty the year before right, they moved two years out. ago yeah two years ago um back in 2017 we had 23 9 44 
and we have 24,000 even capacity. Um, so we've never gone to standing room only capacity. Um, but that could change this year if you guys, if you, uh, if you Northwestern people will buy your tickets and your hotels and your flights. Um, heaven forbid one of you decides to try and drive across country for this game. Um, Please do. Yeah, I mean, I we wouldn't blame you if you did because it'd certainly be less loud and our team would might would win. But <laughs> but we want you guys here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be selling you on it. Um, even if you aren't. Even if you aren't for either one of these schools, because I have seen people that have said that they're considering coming to this game and they weren't fans of JSU or Eastern Washington. If you are, yeah, y'all, if you are, y'all wanting, Kennesaw and UNA fans. If you are wanting to come to this game, you need to make preparations now. Yeah, stuff's going to get filled up quickly. Let's just say that there's not much place. There isn't much room in Jacksonville. Um, you're gonna have to go out like 30 minutes away to Oxford, but you know, gate. You guys definitely, you know, make your arrangements. If that means you've got to plan be sick one weekend so you don't have to go to work, do it. Um, but you need to be at this game. And like Brandon said, even if you're not a JSU or Eastern Washington fan, if you're like a Kennesaw fan or a UNA fan or a UTC fan, and you're just like, man, I want to see some good football, you know, make it to Burgess Snow. Um that weekend um and it'll be a great experience 100 percent. absolutely i think we only have one more topic and that's alcohol sales i would give my personal opinion on this absolutely not there are already enough drunk people at these games absolutely not no i'm not wanting to put my life in danger of someone who's going to be acting stupid I agree 100%. You know, you look at the SEC being, you know, one of the first conferences to fully, you know, allow alcohol sales in stadiums. Um, but then you've seen so many places like LSU, Auburn, Georgia. You know, several LSU. So many of these places like, no, we're not going to do it. Um, like, like I think teams, I think schools are starting to realize there's a liability issue. Um, even with a restricted sale that, these conferences want to allow. I think there's a liability issue um, with someone who's potentially, you know, has alcohol problems that, you know, that could turn really bad in a minute. And just like that, you've got a lawsuit. I think a lot of these programs are smartly saying thanks, but no thanks. Um, um, JSU, I'll just say this right now. JSU probably will never sell alcohol in Burgess Snow Stadium. And for no other reason, the the stadium is connected to a, to a housing site. Well, I will also say this. People aren't stupid. They know that they bring small things of alcohol into the, into the stadium secretly. Like, if they already know that, why would they sell alcohol? If people are going to sneak it in either way. I'm going to be the dissenting opinion here. I think I like the idea. Um, I think it's such a big, wasted opportunity just from a financial standpoint, you can make so much money. People are going to drink anyways. It's not a dry campus. I I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a, a business student, but I think it's just such a good opportunity to make so much money. Now, financially, I do agree with you on that. But yeah, no, I think it's a great business opportunity. I just don't. I think there's, I think JSU is, 
yeah, like you said, they're not a dry campus. I think the biggest issue is, you know, JSU could be held responsible if something happens. You know, kind of like the situation with uh, with Tiger Woods overselling – well, not Tiger Woods himself, but one of his clubs overselling this person who was there for a party, and they decide to get in the car um, and drive home, and they, they get killed in a wreck just a few weeks ago, you know, leading up to the PGA Championship. The whole question was, well, is Tiger Woods about to be in a lawsuit over something that he wasn't there present for? JSU could have the same thing happen where if someone, you know, drinks too much. And I know that they're talking restricted sales, but, you know, you have no idea how much people have had to drink before they've come, come to the stadium. And if someone um, is intoxicated, but they're good at it, you don't know. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, the next day you find out that someone who was in attendance at the game purchased alcohol. They've gotten into a wreck and they've died. And just like that, JSU could be held liable. Regardless of the fact that you're saying, well, they should have gotten a car, JSU could be held liable. And I think that's what a lot of these schools are saying. They don't want to be, you know, dealing with a with a few million dollar lawsuit over something that, you know, shouldn't have ever happened. Yeah, I don't know the particular legalities of it, uh, to be very honest with you. I'd like to look into it, but as far as far as liabilities and things go, I just don't know. But it's not like there are plenty of sports venues that sell alcohol. And don't have to worry about multi-million dollar lawsuits every year. You know? Correct. It's not Baseball as if there's, there's, there's precedent for this. And I just think it's such yeah. a wasted financial opportunity. I really do. Now, of course, I think the biggest thing, you know, you look at these venues that do baseball stadiums, MLB being the biggest example. Um, MLB and MLB, uh, NBA are the ones who are the biggest examples. I think, you know, they've kind of gotten it down to a science where they know where they have to cut people off. Um I think the key with some of these football programs who've never sold alcohol in inside the stadium, you know, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to limit the amount that each person gets. Um, now, whether that's, you know, a stamping system, like some people use, um, you know, so you can, you know, say, Hey, you get two drinks during the game. That's it. You know, and then they stamp you twice. And if you have two stamps, you know, you know, you can't get any more, you know, if that's what they have to do, so be it. But I think, you know, if JSU is going to be one of the programs that delves into that path, they're going to definitely have to figure out, well, how do we keep something bad from happening? Um, since we can't tell people not to drink before the game and we're selling it during, I think that's the biggest issue, but if they can figure it out, you know, more power to them. Um, you know, I mean, if it makes some money, it makes some money. Um, so, you know, there you go, you know, take that as you will. Yeah, but I mean, bearing in mind, alcohol has been sold in the stadium before at the, the benefit concert just this past year. There was alcohol Correct. at the the Alabama benefit concert, and uh, yeah, and I, don't, I don't remember I don't, anything. Yeah, I don't recall there being any issues with that. I mean, granted, the you know the average spectator was about twenty years older than at the JSC football games. Yes, yeah, know. it was a lot of a lot of older people there, so maybe they you know they're a lot smarter. They know what they can handle. I think you know you get some of these college kids in here who don't really know what they can handle, and you've got. You know, there's there's an issue right there, but you know, it's definitely something you know to look into. Where you know, if JSU does it, you know, you hope they find a way to do it smartly, so that nothing bad can come from it. Um, because like I said, you're a business student, so maybe you understand a little bit more of this than we might. But I, I mean, that's just kind of, you know, that's just how it is. You know, if they decide they want to, like I said, more power to them, as long as you know nothing bad comes from it. All right. So I before we wrap things up, I have. Two things to ask right. y'all. The first one, if JSU makes it to Frisco, 
Who will we play? I think we're playing. <sighs> this is tough because North Dakota State and James Madison have both lost head coaches, but they've both done so in the past and they haven't seemed to drop off. However, the question is, you know, how does North Dakota State replace uh, Easton Stick? Kind of the same thing. How would they replace Carson Wentz? Easton Stick did a great job and put himself in the position to be an NFL prospect. Um, and with James Madison, they've always had a good program. You know, case of point, they won a championship um, just a few years ago. Um, I would say we would probably be playing one of those two programs. Maybe even, you know, Youngstown. I don't want to say Kennesaw quite yet. Um, I'm not ready to just seeing that. I don't think they have enough experience. I don't think Frisco is, I don't think Frisco is ready for that rivalry yet. <laughs> They're not. I, no, I don't think they are. And here's my thing with Kennesaw. You know, they had you know such a great season this year, but then they immediately lose Chandler Burks to graduation. Yeah, they have Daniel, uh, David Daniels coming up, who is a phenomenal quarterback. I think my issue is, do, do you think the triple option is successful enough to go to Frisco and compete? No. I don't. Do you think I don't. you don't think it is? I don't I don't think it is either. I think the triple option and this is no offense to any of you KSU fans, I just think the trip the triple option I can see why it might work for Kennesaw right now because they have almost no money into their football program. Um they don't have a good recruiting base and so you kinda have to, you know, find an offense that gives you the most advantages, which is the same reason, you know, the service academies run the option offense because it gives them a strategical advantage over other programs' defenses in which they haven't seen it. However, I think in the future, if Kennesaw is going to be a, a real presence in the FCS, they're going to have to find a new offense. Because if you guys have seen Army, Navy, and Air Force, and Georgia Tech really haven't had sustained success. One of them will have a good year every now and then. You know, Georgia Tech will occasionally beat Georgia like one year, and then Navy will be a top 25 team, or Army will be a top 25 team, but then they go back down. I think that's where, Ken- I, I think that's where Kennesaw is with the option. It's just not an offense made to sustain success i think they've either got to you know go to a spread off spread option kind of the way that jsu and some of these other high profile programs have or go to a pro style the way that james madison and north dakota state do where they you know run the ball physically but they're not involved in the option as part of it the only obviously the only scs program that has had success running the triple option was when paul johnson was at georgia southern well, yeah, but Paul Johnson, you know, he's kind of the father of that option offense. You know, he's the one who's made it big. He's the one who made it big at Navy. He's the one who made, who made it big at Georgia Tech before he retired. Like, obviously, you know, that's kind of the exception. You know, because Paul Johnson, you know, is a genius with the option. But that's not where Kennesaw is right now. Kennesaw is a program that has no recruiting right now just because they don't have the money. Because, they're you know, I mean, they're young. I mean, I'm not – there's nothing to, you know, you know, jump all over Kennesaw for it. I'm just saying that's that's that would be the same as if JSU had just started last year at the school their size, like they just wouldn't have the money to fund uh, to properly fund recruiting. Um, but I think in the future, you know, once more money's funneled in the program, you know, once the recruiting gets better, I think this team has to find a new um, offense. Whereas, you know, teams like North Dakota State and James Madison, they kind of know what their identity is, they're recruiting to it, and their identity as a program in the FCS allows them to do so. Yeah, for those reasons, for me, it's – it's North Dakota State or JMU. And as much as all of us are trying to find reasons for it to not be North Dakota State, it might, I, it probably will be. I think it will be. Just, I mean, just for an illustration, you beat a team by 21 points one year, right? Next year, 
oh man, you lose your head coach, you might be a little bit worse. You still beat that team by seven points. If you can see the point that I'm making here, they've just been so dominant. Um, now, I mean, as much as I don't want to encourage Bison fans, <laughs> uh, I just it would be I would be hard pressed to to not imagine them going very very far still, if not to Frisco. Yeah, I've been seeing all this talk about them saying, "Oh, will, will they lose three or four games this year?" And I just don't buy it. No, I don't buy it. As good as that conference is, I don't think that North Dakota State has it in them to lose more than that, that many games. Chris Kleiman, great coach. Um, you know, well, best of luck to him in in Manhattan, Kansas, coaching Kansas State. But there's a reason that programs like that lose their coaches to other jobs and they sustain success. It's because the coaches who started the program led their assistant coaches to positions where they would be able to succeed. I think they've done the same thing with um with their with their new coaching staff where it's it's in-house people like nothing changes it's just a different name like it's all the same system same coach pretty much the same coaches and everything it's just different names at the positions but they're all in-house so you know like eric said as much as non-north dakota state fans would like to see it happen i just don't i just i gotta say north dakota state maybe james madison if jsu were to get there obviously a big if given how tough it is to get there. I'm going to be the oddball. I I seriously think NDSU will lose at least two games this year. Uh, one of them being to one of the teams that I think we will end up meeting in Frisco if we make it to Frisco. I think we will either end up playing JMU or UC Davis. The reason now UC Davis the, UC Davis is an interesting pick. I'll give you the that. reason I say UC Davis. Jamie is kind of obvious. Let, let's just face it; it's kind of obvious. Uh, UC Davis plays NDSU during the season, and I have UC Davis beating NDSU in the regular season. I can see it. Is that pl- game played at Fargo, or is yeah, it going to be? It is at Fargo. It, yeah, Fargo. That's tough. Man. I just, I, I just, I cannot pull myself to pick against North Dakota State in the Fargo Dome. I just can't. I've never I'm, been, a, I haven't been able to for yeah. five years, and I'm still not doing it yet. now. I'm with you on this one. Now, quick second question, because we're about to run up on an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, one quick question: Where do you have JSU in your top ten? I'll start. I have them at seven. Eric, you go ahead. Seven is actually what I was thinking too. I think, yeah, the generally, I don't know, the way FCS kind of shakes out, there's a bit of a gap between the first few spots and the last half of the top 10. But um, I think we're reaching a point where we might be bursting that bubble a little bit this year if things go the way I hope they do. But I think seven is fair. Are we talking finishing up rankings? What are the last AP rankings going to be? Preseason. Preseason? I think JSU is going to start in the six spot. After the season, I'm going to put I put them at four. But preseason, I have them at I six. Think after the season. Uh, that's, I think you mean one. That, I think you yeah, mean one. Say, let's, yeah. let's hope. Let's hope that it'll be that number one spot. We're optimists here, buddy. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm being realistic that I I've got North Dakota State at one. I'm taking Weber State at either two or three, and James Madison in the other spot. 
And after that, I think it's wide open with Kennesaw, Eastern Washington, South. See, um, I don't even have South Kennesaw East. in my top 20. Whoa. I just see. See, I'm not going to go that far yet. I'll give. I want. I think I should give them. I want to give them credit for last season. At the end, I want to give them credit because there's no telling. You know, just how you know. Let's say their offense comes out looking guns a blazing like it did last year. You know, I think they're an easy top ten team. I'm not saying they're going to be the best team in the FCS. I'm not going to say that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is my preseason rankings. I think they're going to be a lot higher than people think they are. Just because people, I think people are going to see, you know, it's the exact same system. You know, there are a lot of younger players who still have a ton of eligibility left. Other than Chandler Burks, like, they didn't have a ton of huge losses. Um, let me, and I let just, me I just correct think, myself. I think they're going to be there. Let me correct myself. I have KSU at 19. <laughs> yeah. I don't even, you don't even have in the top 20. Let me move them just, just two barely. spots up. Yeah, I, had to, I had to pull up my preseason rankings because I couldn't remember. Well, boys, I think we've hit about everything we wanted to hit. We're coming up on an hour and a half. I think so. I think we have. You know, we're say We've gotten even longer than I think we planned, but we've gotten a lot of talk in, and that's good. Good um, for our first episode, though. Yeah, I think solid. Solid progress. For those of you who will be listening to this episode one of Cocky Nation, I hope you enjoy. Hope you will stay with us through episode two at least. Um, and you know, once we get ready to post to record that episode, should I say, we will put out our, you know, our our list of what you guys want us to talk about, and we will talk about it. And such is life. Is there anything else you guys want to want to say before we kill the recording and? Head home for Join a the cocktail. Join, Join the cocktail. Join the cocktail. Join. I'm. I'm going first. This is important, Brandon. Join the cocktail. Join the cocktail Facebook page. Okay, I'm done. Go cocks and fear fear the beat. <laughs> well, let's, let's go cocks. All right, we will see you guys later. Hopefully, this recording is out pretty soon. Have fun. Have a good night. Go cocks.